Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, with a mission to help provide you with the resources and tools to help make your music making more effective and enjoyable. During COVID-19, Houghton Horns has newly expanded policies that make it easier to purchase and test drive the best equipment during a time when safety and staying home are top priorities. There's a 15-day money-back guarantee with free shipping and free returns on new instruments and mouthpieces and multiple easy financing options on all inventory. Terms and conditions apply. If you're interested in trying out an amazing instrument in the selection of brass instruments that they have, now is the time. In addition to the musical instruments they provide, Houghton Horns is committed to creating high-quality music education content to help get great playing and pedagogy videos into the hands of those who need it. Check out HoughtonHorns.com and their YouTube channel, Houghton Horns, for more information. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I am here with a Long-time friend, haven't seen in a long time, so excited to finally have the chance to catch up again. Brian Santero, who recently won a position as second solo trombone with the Copenhagen Phil. I'm excited to get into what that process is like, how it differs from American auditions, and what it's like to do all of that in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so before we get to that, I suppose I should first say thank you for being on my show, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again. Yeah, this is. We were at Tanglewood in 2012 together. I believe we played Ostelsprock oh, sitting yes. next to each other. Hey, getting to hear that trumpet solo. Oh yeah, yeah. That was um, that was a, quite the experience. There's a beautiful picture on Facebook somewhere of my music falling off the stand and you oh, using I your f- trombone slide I about to, that. <laughs> to hold the music up while I'm playing some solo or something. Oh. Yeah. Oh, good times. What <laughs> yeah, a crazy definitely. summer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, um, that's for a different podcast. Different will, podcast, right? Yeah, I'll focus on you. I, I think to get started, um, I would love to just to dive into some of your younger years of how you got into playing trombone and sort of following your career through your education and uh, the various jobs you've had. And then we'll pick it up talking about some other stuff when we get done. Cool. Um I'm from upstate New York. Uh, if you are from New York City, I'm from upstate. But if you're from actual Poughkeepsie, New York, it is not very upstate. It's about an hour and a half north of the city. Um, and uh, my brother, actually, my older brother, played trombone. He picked up the trombone in fifth grade or whatever. I guess he had long arms, right? That whole story. And uh, when it came around to me picking up an instrument, my brother um, uh, kind of pressured me. It was just like, oh, well, the, the cool kids played trombone. <laughs> and I really wanted to play saxophone. And luckily, uh, as fate would have it, you know, S being towards the end of the alphabet, 
um, Santero, right? Uh, they got to my name, and everyone had picked saxophone and trumpet. Um, I dodged a bullet there, probably. <laughs> no offense. No, no, no not uh, taken. Uh, and uh, and so my my second choice, trombone, was 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 it for me? And I was really lucky. My fifth grade teacher, my like my fifth grade homeroom teacher, like the guy who teaches you social studies and English and all that. He had just gotten back into trombone playing after like 25 years of not playing. And he said, hey, you and this other girl from, from your class, why don't you come in early on Thursday mornings and let's, let's have a trombone lesson. And so like right from the get-go, I basically had a private teacher. I was extremely lucky. And um, I think that's kind of a, a teachable moment right there, like, if you have any interest in it, just go seek out someone who's good at it, right? Mm. Um, but luckily, they came to me. Uh, and so I went through all the public school stuff. I, I did Juilliard pre-college in high school. I did all the things, you know, Allstate, yada, yada, New York, NISMA. And um, eventually, I... I was lucky I got to study study with Jim Markey, um, bass trombonist of now the Boston Symphony. But when he was teaching at pre-college, he was ten, he was the associate principal yeah, of the New York Philharmonic. He's ridiculous. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Just like like a guy who can learn anything and do it exceptionally well. And yeah. um I was super lucky to get to to study with him. And I uh, so I went to NEC for a year uh, and had kind of a quarter-life crisis figuring out that uh, I wasn't ready for college after a year. And so I took a, a, a year at my mother's basement university <laughs> and uh, just like fig- got some ducks in a row and uh, played with New York Youth Symphony, uh, being, being upstate, quote-unquote upstate, I had all access to New to New York and all my teachers uh, from high school and such, and so took a, took a year off, and then luckily got into Curtis uh, the next year, and studied with Nitsan for four years. Um, so that's basically my education. Uh, does that kind of? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it sounds like. To me, what's interesting is it it almost sounds like it's the straight ahead thing that a lot of us have experienced, except for that one hiccup right, right at the beginning of it, you know? So what were, I mean, just to dive into this for a second, what was that like? I mean, were you like, I can't do this? Or were you like, I really need this t- time for myself? Where were you as a, not only at the beginning, but sort of at the end? Did you feel like you'd be behind? Were you worried about anything? Or were you just like, I'm glad I took that time. Now I can focus. Um, I definitely knew that music was the thing that I wanted to do. Like it was my passion. It was the ethos that I exhibited. Um, and I felt like I wasn't living in that space at the end of my freshman year at NEC. And I just really wanted to play video games, I guess is the long and short (laughs) of it. Um, I, uh, but I think 
the year in between my gap year uh, was really important because I like I I worked my first job like I worked at Barnes and Noble, um, uh, slinging uh, Pavarotti CDs. That was actually the year that he died. That's gonna date me, um, but uh, he um, I remember having to put up like the assemble the the signage for it and be like check out all of his CDs like one of the world's greatest tenors or, or the greatest tenor has has passed away go li- go listen to his to his stuff and my dad being a voice teacher um uh, I forgot to mention that uh he was just he was so passionate about Pavarotti that I um or Pavarotti if you're Pavaretti. from Pavaretti, if you're from <laughs> if you're from America, ravioli. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, like I just had this, I had this respect for singing and such, and it was actually kind of interesting. That I think that was a very pivotal moment for me was was that signage and that display of his of his singing. I was like, yeah, I really love music, despite like it being a business and knowing that I was going to be going into a music business eventually as a career, but I still had that passion and it kind of ignited this, my new passion for music again and really got me practicing. And luckily it was before audition season. Uh, And so it got me like practicing and that's actually where, where I met Stuart Stevenson. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, at New York Youth Symphony and uh, Kolio Plachkov, and we played Ooh. like yeah, right. Like Ooh. I had such a great brass section um, at New York Youth Symphony, and we played like Firebird and and uh, Rock Rock Two Symphony Two, um, and it was just I finally got I got my music back, I guess, and that Pavarotti uh, display was ironically an interesting. Um, uh, uh, what and en- not enzyme, uh, <laughs> catalyst. There we go. Yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, that's. I mean, I just find it interesting that, um, you wouldn't assume that. I suppose you wouldn't assume. You know, we look at people who are successful, and it's like they must have had everything just go exactly according to oh, plan. No. And we all know it's not true. Totally, we all know totally. it's not true. But it's really nice to hear that. It doesn't have to be a straight line. And if you're struggling now or you're unsure now, it has no bearing on where you might end up 10, 12 years down the line as you are Absolutely. evidence of at this point. So I just think it's worth uh, sort of discussing and, and opening up. Uh, after Curtis, is that when you went to Tanglewood? Is that when we met or did you do grad school? I guess, yeah, 2012 was when I quote unquote graduated, um, stopped going to school. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I never got a bachelor's degree, um, despite my five years of bachelorhood, um, at least ac- academically. Um, I guess that's another podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't just go right over that, but maybe there's not enough time. Um, I think uh, the I've always been maybe a little bit contrarian when it came to like education and stuff, and I very much very much regret that now in my early 30s, early to mid 30s. Uh, 
not going to, okay, I'm 32. Um, but, uh, and I kind of regret it. And yeah. actually the moment that I, the moment I knew I regretted it was when I wanted to audition for, um, not music Academy. It was at music Academy, uh, new world symphony. And I asked them, I was just like, yo, I don't have a degree. Like, can I do this? Can I audition? And they said, well, not really, because we are an academic institution. And like you, like education is important. And it was that moment that I was like, oh my gosh, it's closing doors for me. Mm. You know? And like having that piece of paper, although it sometimes seems ridiculous, is it just, it just, one, it opens doors. Two, it does give you options in your education. Like I could go into masters for engineering or something. Yeah, like, right. Like switch goals, uh, switch switch careers. But um, at this point, I would have to go all the way back to the beginning. Right. So, so how does that? manifest now so you are someone who was contrarian and you now regret that do you find yourself actively trying to be not contrarian about things that you may feel does that make sense like do you find yourself trying to actively not be that and what what has been the result if there has been one that's observable well um i do teach at a couple of universities montclair state um and rutgers university both in jersey and uh, it's funny being the teacher with less credentials than my students. But fortunately, the uh, industry experience that I've gained over my years with the ballet and San Antonio Symphony and freelancing and all that stuff has, and also teaching in general, has just taught me the techniques and the life lessons that I need in order to, um, in order to, to teach, I guess that's kind of lost my train of thought there. Sorry. Um, but I think, I, I think I tried to emulate eventually. I tried to emulate the, the learning the process of learning, right? You go to college for how to learn, not to learn things. I mean, yeah, yeah you do get some information on things, but the main, the main point of college is just like, one day you're not going to be in an educational institution and you're not going to have someone saying, okay, now play all your major minor scales, play all your, play this etude, play these extra. You're not going to have that person like sitting in front of you for one hour a day you're going to have to be that person for yourself. Yeah. And so afterwards, I kind of like talked with all my friends and I was just like, what did you get from college that like I just like shut out from my brain? And I just kind of tried to learn from my friends, a little help from my friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and tried to get those lessons. And fortunately, I had friends, uh, especially my wife, who was just, She's brilliant. Um, uh, like they were willing to help with that and like help teach me to teach myself. 
that's amazing. That's like a huge part of what I feel like I'm out there trying to do right now is I agree. I, the way you put it is quite, quite good. Actually. I feel like I, I learned, but I, and I don't, and what I've been struggling with, and maybe I would be interested in your, your um, input is I'm starting to understand that I don't think my teachers inherently were saying, I'm just going to, teach you how to do it, but I'm not going to teach you how to learn, right? I think there was all of this was wrapped up, but in, like I didn't understand that that was an important thing to take away. I wasn't in my education thinking I need to take advantage of everything that's here so I can learn how to learn. Well, I mean, obviously with your experience, maybe that's a similar thing, but I'd love if you have any sort of comments on just that idea that we need to sort of take um, the the impetus or the be motivated to actually drive that process. Totally. Like take charge or whatever. Um, yeah. I, you hear, you hear all these quotes about like, Oh, you're so young. Like you'll bounce back or, or you're in college. Just soak up everything. Be a sponge. Like all these things, like all these aphorisms, maxims, uh, uh, idiomatic phrases, I guess. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like, like you hear all these things, but they never really like they never really go deep in into your psyche. Um, and I just kind of wish someone had said to me at the, you know, during orientation at NEC, just be like, hey, this is going to be tough, but you know what? It's not, you're not here for grades. You shouldn't be here for grades. You should be here for like just doing cool stuff, making friends and figuring out how to teach yourself when this doesn't exist. And that's not that's not a slight that's not a slight on on NEC. I mean like no one tells you those things. Yeah. Or maybe they maybe they do but I didn't get it. Um and I just kind of wish that someone had said like yo the importance of education isn't to like assimilate knowledge. It's to assimilate the ability to assimilate knowledge. Yeah. It's, it's building the techniques for for how to practice. It's building the the tools for, you know, how to listen to things. Um and I think the process of learning skills is something that pedagogy kind of teaches, but not a lot of people realize that you need to like that's an important thing like everyone has to learn skills not everyone has to learn trombone or trumpet but everyone has to learn skills everyone learns to 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 ride a bike or drive or drive a car sort of thing how do you learn that quickly efficiently and thoroughly and that's what they should be and that's what you should be learning from day one yeah. and they kind of do that you just don't realize you're doing it but if you realize you're doing it, 100%. yeah, I've I've started working with some uh, s- some schools in in a capacity like this, right, where I give a class on uh, practicing and organization and all that kind of stuff. And then instead of a residency where you're here for day one, two, three, I stretch it out and I come back a month later and a month after that. So there's a chance to like try to implement some of the ideas. Mm. And then I could have like individual meetings with the students. And I, I feel like I'm, that's among the most important things that I'm, I sort of say is that like, if you have a teacher 
that tells you to do something and you don't understand why that's happening, like like they'll assume you will do that thing. And if you do it, you may have gotten better. And then that's that's the whole goal of the thing. But if you don't understand what just happened in that process, why? then you're like, I'm, I'm lost. And you yeah. will continue to be lost. And so it, that's the part is like understanding the why behind it, I feel is one thing that I didn't necessarily go after that I wish I would have gone after a lot more. But maybe yeah. I wasn't developmentally ready for that. You know, I mean, this is like, again, 32 years old looking back. Right. So- but that's something I think we should dig into this a little bit more because like we were we were talking about this before the camera turned on the camera the microphone turned on. What would you say? We were talking about this in terms of like setting parameters and all that kind of stuff. But what would you say would be your thoughts on learning something efficiently, whether it's a new skill or it's a skill on the trombone or or whatever? Like, how do you start determining like? what it is, what would the work look like? And like, just what does this look like for you in terms of learning a new skill? Well, I think, um, one, we have the benefit of standing on the shoulders of giants sort of thing. But, uh, so that's kind of the caveat, to the disclaimer. The, um, but I think like just kind of seeing the end product. Yeah. So when someone says, like, imagine the sound that you want to produce. Like, imagine the best trombone sound, the best trumpet sound. Like, like, what is that sound that you want to have? I think you have to have a goal first, right? When we all we all hear this. Have a goal. Have a have a uh, have a a, way, uh, a thing in the distance to look towards. Um, and then you kind of, you look at that goal and you don't start taking steps towards it, right? Because if, if you just say, well, you know, Rome is all the way over there and I know all le- roads lead to there and if I just start walking, I'll get there. It, you may, it may take you 10 days, it may take you 100 years if you're not pointed in the right direction, right? If you're pointed mm-hmm. away from it and you circle Around the earth, you'll get to Rome, but it'll take you forever. You yeah, develop right. a bunch of bad habits, right? Um, may make some interesting stories along the way, but sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not going to be the most efficient way to get there. So, one, you have to have a goal, and then you have to, uh, uh, you kind of break it up into some, into some pieces and some, and. I think did you you mentioned uh something like uh like not having a budget but having a like a, a set parameter of like mm-hmm. time that you can devote to it. Um because and I really love that, like having I guess kind of a time budget because uh and this is a little little tangential and I promise it'll be short, but it's like the the importance of One second. I can edit this. It's no problem. Uh, no, yeah. Thank you. The importance of uh, the time budget. Oh yeah. Okay. It's important to have a time budget or some like some set of like confinement, right? Because we always say like think outside of the box or like most people are. M- you're most creative when you have a structure in which 
like rules. You can break rules, but if you're given like like an open void, a blank canvas, that's when you get writer's block, right? Absolutely. So having some sort of like confined, say like, I have this goal and I'm going to meet it in 30 days, right? With, with half an hour a day. You're going to figure a way to do it if, if you actually set that goal and set those parameters. Does that, does that, is that kind of what? Yeah, I actually, I mean, you're talking about building a process, right? And, and this is basically where the conversation would always lead is because uh, you don't know what's the most efficient for yourself. So we have resources, like you said, the, the giants that we've stood on their shoulders, right? And right. We, can, we can look to what they have said about what is valuable or efficient, and, but we still have to try it, right? We still have to like yeah. say like, okay, what would that look like? And it may not work for you in exactly that way. And I totally agree, setting that goal, even if you don't achieve it in 30 days, you have the ability to say, well, why didn't I achieve it? What would I do I, differently next time? Yeah, and that, the, that's how you build a process. Yeah, the Edison, I found 999 ways of not building a light bulb. Exactly. Right? And that's not, and I feel like we call that failure and that discourages us. But to me, it's exactly that. It's like, all right, this didn't work. I'm that much closer to finding what does work. But it's a mindset. It's a perspective that you have to have. And so um, for you and your own trombone practice, um, what does this look like? I mean, if you can give us an example of how you might set a goal X amount of time away and then like how it goes about and how you might make adjustments, just like a generalized idea of what this could look like in your own practice. In my own practice. Um, well, in 11th grade, I wanted a high F on the trombone. I wanted to play the so Beethoven 5 has mm -hmm. in the alto trombone part, the first trombone part has a high F that is compared to the rest of the of the repertoire completely uh it's it's a it's an outsider. It's an exception to the rule, right? We just don't play that high ever except for that one time. Yeah. And you have to do it because well, it's Beethoven 5. It's not exactly a nothing piece. Right. Right? It's going to come around. And so I said, well, I, I want to do it. I want to have, I want to have the, the high F. So, one, I inadvertently, and I'm looking back on this now, and I think I had the perfect plan for this. I played it every day. I played it multiple times every day. Not a long time, every time, but I tried at least, I tried at least 10 times in each session, which may last like, what, five minutes or something. And that session would come back like eight times a day or something like that. And so if you do the math on that, like that's 80 attempts, that's 80 560 attempts a week, you know, two thousand over 2000 attempts in, in a month. Like I was attempting, not just doing the thing, but doing all the beginning, all the, all the foundational things that you have to think of, like, of, you know, 
well, why doesn't my ear work? Why don't my lips get in the right place? You know, is my my horn angle different? Like you're you're trying inadvertently, you're trying a a, a ton of variables over two thousand times. Yeah, right. Like like it's I hate I almost hate to say it, but it's kind of just a numbers game. Eventually, you're going to hit the light bulb and build it one time, and you're gonna be like, hey, that works, right? Yeah. Um, and so looking back on that, it is every day it has to be consistent, consistently every day. Because if you do two days a week, you're going to forget. Um, on You're going to forget how to do it. And then you do, uh, you do multiple times a day that one skill. Um, and it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be four hours a day. If we did the, if we did the, what? Five of five minutes a day for eight times. It's forty minutes. Okay, I guess that's a lot of high Fs. But, it's a lot of high, yeah. <laughs> but I maybe that's not maybe that's not exactly how long I did, but it felt like it. Sure. Um, and it's just like if you want to learn a skill, you just do it in all the different mindsets that you have. You know. Um, after a dinner, uh, once you wake up, all these things like like just try every variable and see what affects what. And so, uh, if I were to have a modern like a a today analogy, it would have been my audition process for Copenhagen Phil. Um, is it too soon to get into that? Oh, let's do it. Sounds like a great segue. Yeah. Um, so Copenhagen Phil's. Uh, list was a very nice list in the sense that they gave me exactly the rounds that they gave everyone the rounds that they were going to play. Like the list that they set out was not just, you know, Beethoven, Bartok, you know, it's like, it was, this is round one. Round one is going to be David Concertino. And then it's going to be two excerpts. And so like a nice, easy, get to know you sort of thing. Um, uh, and I knew that the solo, uh, the concertino, was going to be with piano. Like I had to play with a with a pianist, but they provided one, which was nice. Um, and uh, so, of course, like I would have played with a pianist, but being COVID times, kind of mm. hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I played a lot with recordings. Like I played with my favorite... Um, Christian Lindbergh's and and Joe Alessi's, all those re, uh, recordings, and just tried to feel what it was like to play um, with piano. But if I knew the goal that I, my goal was to play all of these excerpts extremely well to the best of my ability at the drop of a hat, right? So I took every single I took. All of the excerpts um, stand alone, and then I also did them in the round because you have to do it in situ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I generally follow a mentality of of my students are, are bored by this to death. Um, I I wear two different hats. I have my practice practice hat and my performance practice hat. 
So when you're like learning a technique like triple tonguing, double tonguing, or, you know, why isn't this slur working? Um, you go into practice mode and you go into practice practice um, where you're practicing the act of practicing something, right? You're not practicing performing it. Right, right. So if you're going to practice it, um, I'll stop saying that P word. I, I promise. Uh, it's going to get talking really about annoying. Practice, man. Practicing. <laughs> uh, when you're when you're working on stuff uh, like that, it's really important just to like make sure that you're in the mindset of working on that one detail. Like uh, like you are working on the technique. You're you're lear- you're working on the why, not the what. You know. Um. Because if you get the why, like we were talking earlier, um, you can apply it to a million things. You know, like how do you learn? Not what do you learn? Why do you learn? How do you learn? Um, so, sorry, a little rambly. It's good, man. I think it's, I mean, I'm going to pause right there. I, I actually, com- in the ways that I've approached it, I, I would completely agree the way I think about it. Cause I did a lot of Excel spreadsheets when I was making these like practice programs and stuff. And I started to think about my practice sessions as an if then statement, right? If I do oh, these things, yeah. then this result will happen. And then you're just like you said, you're just looking for the equation that works. Right. Once you hit, once you get all the right variables, your air is in the right speed, you're going to, you know, maybe your mouth is going to tense up or your corners are going to tense up the right way. That slur works. Then you say, all right, that, as long as I input those variables every time, this slur will work every time. And you've learned the why. You've learned like, this is how it works. And then like you said, you can apply it anywhere. I actually completely agree that when, especially working on fundamentals, this is the bulk of our work. Yeah, totally. The, um... I mean, to finish my thought is Please. because then we just apply it, right? Then you're not thinking when you're doing something like uh, tuba miram and you're thinking about those. You're not thinking about those slurs. You've already understood what does my air yes. need to do. And now, ideally speaking, if you apply a process that allows you to build up good habits into it, it should go faster and be easier. Exactly. Not necessarily like no work at all, but the ability to take it from I'm sort of like isolating things to a full performance, that process should be easier because we we gained the understanding of how slurs work in our practice practice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's at least my, my, the way I view it now. I, I love it. The, um, and I think uh, just, just hearing you talk, actually it, it puts it all in perspective. It makes a whole lot of sense. There's like kind of the engineer, there's, there's the, there's the line worker, or whatever, um, who's just like doing like rote exercises and like putting, building, building the house that we want to build. Sorry, sorry. Learning all the te- all all the techniques that we that we need in order to build what the other person, the architect, the designer, the artist, um, the musician in us wants to fulfill. And if you go with just like kind of this like abstract feeling of like what a, what music is, like you're never going to how are you ever going to touch a key? How are you ever going to blow into an instrument? 
Like, it's just abstract. It's just a mental picture at that point. Um, yeah, maybe eventually we'll read minds and create music that way at some point. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're just there yet, but yeah. Google, I'm sure, is working on it right sure, now. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think all this practice, practice, the performance practice, that sort of stuff, I like you learn your techniques in stage one, you apply them in stage two, and then you kind of have this like image that of, of an excerpt or a solo or a piece of music that you have built. You have painted this image using techniques that you've learned, using the parameters that you've set and said like, I need X amount of air for these slurs. And you kind of like bake it into this, into this, I'm mixing my metaphors. You bake it into a, into a loaf of bread. You paint a picture with this thing. And now you have like kind of a, a, an object that you can bring to places and present to people. And the next step after that is just getting used to like presenting that thing. Totally. It's, it's the, it's the like CEO needs to uh, learn how to public speak sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a completely different skill. Yeah. It uses all of the skills that you've learned because you're presenting that picture, you're playing that excerpt, you're you're giving Paul Hollywood and Prue, I forget her last name, that loaf of bread. Sorry, I watch a lot of British baking show. Um, <laughs> I love to bake as well, so uh, uh, there's a lot of reasons that I I have a lot of bread metaphors in my teaching, unfortunately. Um, but bread Dude, is delicious. Bread's pretty much one of the greatest things. One of the it's the greatest since slice. Sorry, um, since sliced bread. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. Um, it's all right. But you, you, I think it's really important to like put these into like different stages or wear different hats for these for these modes that you're in. Like one, you are you are working on techniques, and you are learning. All the notes of the of the excerpt. You are learning all of the slurs. You're learning the the articulation, the sound, the time, the tune, the tone, that sort of stuff. Um, and then the the second part is you become the artist. You paint your picture. You you tell your story. You uh, make tuba mirum yours, or also sprack or, or sprack. Sorry, uh, also sprack. Also sprack. <laughs> also sprack. Um, <laughs> Uh, you make it yours, right? But the audition process takes it a step further and just like kind of tests you on how integrated, how how is the in, how how integral how uh, sorry the audition process takes it a step further and then turns it it tests you and sees if you really are buying your your product. Like yeah. You need to fully believe in your tuba mirum, your David concertino. And really, if you love your music so much, of course you can sell it to someone. Yeah. I think it's such... There's so much about what you just said I think is just crucial. 
One of them is that I think it's perfectly acceptable to separate the learning process. Like you're not, you can't, in my opinion, you can't do everything all at once. No. And I think the ability to understand the value, like the way you described it, here's, you're going to put the techniques and build this thing. And then you're going to start saying, now that I can build it with consistency, how do I want to present it? And then the next phase being, how can I present it that way every time and feel like it's natural? Exactly. Yeah. And like, I feel like you're taking advantage of stages of learning how to do something. And so the next, for me, the next logical question is, is A, how long would ideally or ish would this process be? And number two, are there like sort of typical lengths that you might be spending in it? Because I feel like to be able to plan for this, Let's say the audition was six weeks away, but then you spent so much time in that technique building phase that now you don't have enough time to get used to preparing it. And so do you have ways of sort of structuring it and giving yourself even parameters and time in that way of saying, I have this much time to learn the technique to help yourself focus or just what's your approach in regards to time length for preparation? Um, As I've gotten older and a little more mature in all this, uh, the technique building, the picture painting, those two first modes or whatever, the two hats, um, those kind of have shortened for me, luckily. But I think the one thing that has never changed is the learning, is like the consistency of performing, of like the, that third stage of like the, of having the product and showing it presenting it consistently and just getting used to that. It's like the same thing. You, you go to, um, you go to a famous person, uh, number one, and you say, Hey, you just, how do you do it? Like, how do you, it's like, you've got ice in your veins. How do you pull that off? And you're just, and they say, Oh, I'm, I'm scared to death. I just learned how to deal with it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, and then it's that aha moment where you're like, oh, everyone gets nervous. I mean, yeah, maybe there's that like one exception to the rule who just like doesn't care, right? And like they're so involved in their self, they don't even notice that there's that there's a panel or 2,000 people in front of them. Um, but I think the majority of us are like, we're scared to death when we when we play, but we just we've done that third stage of just presenting yep. the, the our our ideas that you like you get comfortable being uncomfortable you know yeah yeah um and so i would say to answer your question very uh long story short it's cool man. i i would say to give some time timelines on it 2 weeks at least for that preparation. Like if, if, if we're saying like, um, December 31st is the audition date, which is generally an unrealistic audition date, but just to give it some idea, the two weeks before that. So like December 16th or whatever, uh, onward, I'm just, just practice. I'm just, the two weeks beforehand, I am the large majority just presenting and practicing my performing. 
like practicing my presentation. So you're just my, like playing rounds, right? Like you're yeah. picking six or eight excerpts and running these rounds to get used to what that feels like. Something exactly. like that. Exactly. Because I. What I didn't have in Copenhagen, Phil, was the uncertainty of like, well, are they going to put, are they going to put uh, Sanson right after a really loud excerpt, you know, and like playing those mind games and the sort of thing. Um, and so you want to test all those variables. Um, and so I say the large majority of my practice is is the performance aspect, like that presentation, uh, that third mode. But you still want to like tweak things. You want to keep checking in. You want to. You never want to forget, right? Because there's always uh, you can get lazy and then make assumptions that that your air is still working, that you're still doing all things. But as long as you just do a little check in, and that's what warm ups are great for, um, and especially recording, uh, just to make sure that like you're doing all the nuts and bolts, but you're largely just performing and practicing performing the two weeks beforehand. And then if you've got six, if it's six weeks out, right? And so December 31st, and you're, you're starting all this mid-November. Um, uh, a good, like, I mean, six weeks is kind of great because you get two weeks on everything, right? Um, and nothing's done after, the, after it's two weeks. You just kind of like dovetail and like blend it into the next week and transition the first mode out, get into the second mode while still working a little bit on first mode stuff, which is like the nuts and bolts, the practice practice. Um, and so November 15th through November 30th, you're working on notes. You're listening to all the excerpts. Um, uh, you uh, find a million different recordings of all the excerpts. Uh, I have... Personally, myself, I have excerpted audio files of all of the, of like a lot of my CD collection. Um, by the way, for some uh, audience members, CDs are these, uh, they're these plastic discs that mm -hmm. music came on uh, before Spotify. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, which reminds me of an NEC story I would love to tell you at some point. Sure, absolutely. Um, the and like I I ripped all of these CDs. I have all these I have all these excerpts. I uh, I have all of I have just like thirty second snippets of everything that I can listen to and hear different styles. Um, and like I have my warm up of of all the different techniques that I need to work on, like short tongue, uh, uh, short. Tonguing, long tonguing, uh, 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 precise tonguing, and legato tonguing, and uh, flexibility, dynamics—all these, you know, all the mm -hmm. things that you yeah. would work on, you would touch on—and you're you're just kind of testing all of them. Um, which sounds like a lot now that I'm talking about it, but. It's thorough. It's I mean, whether it's a lot or not, it's thorough. And like this is the point of why organization in my opinion, organization matters is if you're not really thinking through the process, you're gonna leave something out. So the fact that we would think through it beforehand means we get to 
check the boxes and exactly. make sure it fits in there somewhere. Right. And, and depending on where you are in the process, you have a little bit more as the process goes. Maybe you have a little bit less of something because something else that you weren't doing is now becoming more like you're saying you're not at the beginning of the process. I imagine you're not trying to run lists. You're like, I have time for that later. So why would I do that now? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Dude. Like, well, I will say for my process, I do, I do, a preliminary run of the list. If if they give me all the excerpts, I'll just play through all the excerpts and kind of like if I'm smart about it, I'll record it and I uh, I I generally do this. Yeah. Um I've missed it a couple of times and I regret it. Uh but I play through all the excerpts and I'm just and I record it and I listen back to it on November 15th, like day 1 sort of thing. And I listen back to it, and and I kind of say, "Wow, my soft playing is really bad right now. I should probably work on that." <laughs> and that, of course, is going to get like a priority in the in the in the practice practice sort of stuff, like the techniques, the the nuts and bolts stuff. Um, and it kind of gives you it gives you that goal. It gives you like a secondary goal, like how we were talking about uh, setting. You know, how do you learn something? You set the goal and now we've got a timeline and you're like, I have to not, I'm doing this audition, but as a lower priority, sort of low, I have to learn soft playing. And then you know what to work on. It's not yeah. just like this enigmatic, like, well, I need to be better at, at Bolero, right? Let's like, like, what does that mean? Just like. Don't you love it when a teacher goes to you and they're like, "Can you, can you play that again better?" Yeah, with no qualification. No, of no what qualification. Would, yeah. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, uh, "Okay." And of course, it's going to be the same. So now, if you have a goal and a timeline and some things to to work towards, like it's just it's so much easier. It's like clear and. You f they're manageable tasks, right? They're like bits that you, you, it turns it turns a a thousand a thousand gallon Jello pool pool into a trillion bites, manageable bites that you can get through. <laughs> Sounds like the the world's that's that's my crazy ADD brain. I'm sorry, but. But like, instead of being like, I have to eat this whole thing because I really want to swim in my pool this summer. Like, you just like take a bite out of it every yeah, day. Yeah, right. That's the weirdest imagery I've had in a in a. It was while. good. I mean, <laughs> I understand what you mean, but I never would have come up with that on my own. <laughs> it's good. I mean, so uh, the I feel like a very important question to ask at this point would be. Mentally, what's the difference between practicing this way and not? Does that make sense? Like, not only so there's a two aspects of this. Not only from day to day, like when you have like, but with it, if you don't have a goal and you don't have a time frame and some things you're trying to improve, as opposed to you have a goal, you have a time frame. Like mentally, day to day, how do you feel? But also at the actual audition, what do you feel mentally from where you sort of just like? ad hoc put things together versus I've been pretty organized about setting goals and achieving them. Does that make question make sense? I think so. 
like I remember being in in school and just like kind of working on excerpts and like kind of learning them and such. But like if there was never any any fire under my under my butt or like a carrot at the end uh at the end of a stick, like if there's no like incentive, right? You where is like the heart in it? So I was I was kind of doing exactly what that what that lazy teacher would say. You know, like just do it again better. And so yeah. you'd like, yeah, maybe you might record it and listen back and be like, well, you know, it's not that good. I'll just play it again, see if it gets better. Um but then at the end of the day, like when you present it, like I would go to auditions and I'd do okay. Um, like I get to the end of lists or maybe, maybe get to semis once in a while, but like, I wasn't even convinced myself on my music, you know, how in the world was I going to convince anyone else? And so like, I would get in there, I would get in there and be scared stiff. And I, my, my nervous tick is that my left leg if I'm standing, goes crazy, just like starts jumping up and down. Like, and I'm, and I'm like trying to, trying to play Sansaw or whatever, and my leg's going nuts, and I get severe dry mouth, which is great for a brass player, I tell you, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, love dry mouth. You love dry mouth. Amazing. <laughs> and so uh, the opposite... Am I answering this? Does this sound right? And a, yes, yes. Okay. Um, the opposite of that, when you're working with goals and such, you can go back to that goal and be like, "Yeah, I've kind of checked. I've checked that that box," and I uh, and mentally, I can. I have more confidence. I can say. I know what my music, I can sing my music in my head. My music, not someone else's music in my head. I can sing bolero the way I want to, with the scoops that I want to, with the, with the vibrato that I want to. And when I'm sold on it, it's the, it's the whole be yourself thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Right there, be yourself. If I'm being myself fully, finally, like they're seeing the the committee is seeing hearing like a person not just not just a a, a practice recording and they they feel they get that connection and i feel like i'm connecting with them because i'm putting i'm like i feel connected with the music i feel it in the air um and it's kind of an out-of-body experience. It's really cool once you're emoting the way you want to emote. Um, and so I guess when my practice, my performance practice is going well and I know that things are going in that direction, I feel like I'm making that connection to a jury that doesn't exist yet. Mm. And I And I feel like I'm connecting with an audience that is you know, a ghostly audience that exists only in my mind, but it feels like my music has connected 
with with someone. And I think that's kind of where the spiritual thing comes up, you know, like you feel like more connected with yourself and everything because you're being true. You're and and ironically, it's all because you've you've checked boxes. You've like yeah, made yeah. goals for yourself. You've yeah. like done all these weird <laughs> engineering things of saying like I need to do X, Y, Z in order to do A, B, C. And like, in the end, you wind up like more, you wind up greater than the sum of your parts. Yeah, that's like an awesome bring back around. I like that. You're talking about this spiritual connection to a committee that you haven't played for yet because you checked boxes. You know, I totally agree. Right. I totally agree. I think it's incredibly valuable. I really what you you said it in there I, for me I just feel more confident. I I feel I have control over the process. Yeah. It's not this out of control spinning my world is blowing up and I'm just trying to hang on. It's like right. I have my plan and I'm doing my plan and whether it's perfect or not I have a plan and I'm doing my plan and you can make it better and that's the whole point too that every audition can serve to continue to refine your plan, which then if you win the audition, that's the goal. If you, quote, lose the audition, there's an opportunity to learn and you still kind of win. Maybe it's like yeah. second place and it's not as good as right. winning it, but you still learn and that's still pretty good. So yeah, man, this is, I had no idea. Like I, I was wanting to talk to you about this audition, but it's so cool to hear your perspective on um, just, you know, goal setting. I mean, but it's not just I set this goal. It's like you have a way of going about doing that. It's because goals, I feel like, can be great. But like you said, if the goal is to eat all of the jello, like it can feel overwhelming and right. maybe not doable. So I'm not going to go do it versus I can break it up into these parts. And I mean, that's a challenge in and of itself, but uh, right. maybe that's a podcast for a different time. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, that's cool. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, the feelings of winning a pan winning an audition in a different country in the middle of a pandemic. Oh man, it was unreal. I am extremely lucky. Um, New York, the New York scene has always been a little interesting to me. I mean, it's a little interesting to everyone, right? Everyone, every. Everyone wants to live here, I, as I use um, scare quotes. Um, being from this area and having like a homecoming sort of thing, like my parent, my my whole family's here. My 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 parents and my brother, um, and now his wife. Like my the four people in my family. I have a very small family. Mm -hmm. um, they all live like an hour within an hour and a half of of me um, in Manhattan. And so New York has been really scary during COVID. Like the first the first month I didn't go outside of my apartment literally. Like literally did not go. We wound up on March 8th or something like that. I was like, "Hey, you know like our freezer on our fridge is kind of is kind of not working." Um I kind of want to stock up just in case like we do like shut down or whatever. Uh, what if I just go to Best Buy and get like, you know, like a standalone fridge. So in our like 700 square foot apartment, we have a second freezer. <laughs> um, I, and it's, 
it has saved us. And it, and it basically meant that I could go out zero times during COVID, during the shutdown. And of course, all, all the teaching went online and everything. And I was just like, man, New York's a great place to live, except for during a lockdown. Yeah. It sucks here. Like, like going, going to uh, Central Park, like no one wears masks. No, like, like it's just like this whole disconnect of, of like, like it's not even about, I, I know that there's like politicized stuff, but it's just like, like everyone was kind of in their own world. And I was just like, I can't, I can't live here right now. Like during during COVID, I need to do something. I need to do something, right? Yeah. And so I got into like I start I started making my my a couple of music videos, um, like on my YouTube, like the the uh, the multi track sort of stuff, um, and that took so much time. And I just said, you know what? I'm not. I'm getting better at the instrument, but I'm I'm like more in shape, but I'm not really getting better at the instrument. What could I do in order to get like find my music again and also like do something during this uh during this COVID time? And I started looking at, at Europe because uh, I had heard a lot of people had been going back to work, like those orchestras were working. And and um, while I was lucky to be able to do like the third coast trombone retreat sort of stuff, and like we got to play some trios after like, you know, doing the bubbling and social distancing um, or the quarantining, I should say. Um, like it, it was so nice to work with musicians again like my buddy Nick Schwartz from the ballet, he's the bass trombonist at the ballet, um, and Sebastian Vera uh, of the Pittsburgh Opera. Like, I was, I I had that Pavarotti moment again where I was just like rekindled and I was just like, I have to do something. And that something was taking auditions because I, I always felt that auditions Exactly as you said, like, yeah, there's like the, the goal of winning. The second, the second goal is like, yeah, it'll just be a learning experience. I'll figure out how to be a better player, a better person after all this, right? So I, I started looking at, at European auditions, and I saw that, that the, the West German Radio Symphony in Cologne, a Vede Air, um, had a principal trombone opening. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wow, and they're auditioning in September. Like September 28th, like that's gonna, that could actually happen. Like numbers were low and, you know, it kind of looked like things were under control and uh, and they had protocols for it. Like the German government had figured out like, you know, you're going to wear masks. You're going to do things indoors, you know, in short bursts of time, that sort of thing. And and I said, okay, I can deal with that. I can take those chances. That's my that's my risk that I'm willing to do. Um, and so I looked there. Wuppertal Symphony had an audition, uh, and 
Meanwhile, I was trying to figure out like, how do I get into Germany? How do I, how do I take these auditions? Like, not just like, how do I practice for this audition? How do I learn all these excerpts? Like, like how do I, do I physically I get there? <laughs> physically yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, and so I was asking around, asking uh, a lot of a lot of people, and it's it seemed like the best way at that moment was going through Austria. Um, and it kind of feels like a World War II story or something like that. Yeah, you know, kind of. Like, how do you get through <laughs> Checkpoint Charlie or something? And I, uh, and I, except for backwards, right? And I. Uh, Along came Copenhagen Phil, and their their audition posting, I uh, kind of set things in motion. Where I was like, "Wait a second, Denmark allows travel in if you have an interview, of which an audition works uh, fits that bill." And so, um, New York had just started twenty four hour test. Uh, results in which most of the tests that I had gotten through that thing were coming in like three hours or something like that. These rapid PCR, very important that it was the PCR test uh, within three hours. And so I got to the, I, I bought the tickets through Copenhagen and I said, okay, I'm going to go through Copenhagen. I'm going to go down to Germany, take these auditions. Um, and at the end of the trip, I'm going to go back to Copenhagen, take the audition uh, and and go that way. Um, and it was, I'm really lucky, it was an adventure. <laughs> I had a vacation, I sort of a vacation, it wasn't really much of a vacation, but it was an adventure. It certainly got me out of Central Park, away from, from, from all the people. Yeah. Um, so I wound up renting a car, I, uh, I uh, driving on the uh, on the autobahn, and I uh, took the first took the Wuppertal audition in which I dropped my iPad. I uh, played David terribly. Was really flustered. This was like the day after I landed in Copenhagen and had to get down to Wuppertal, which is near Cologne. Okay. Um. I, uh, and so like, after like a day of travel and everything, of course I wasn't going to play well. I played terribly. Like, I hadn't played, literally hadn't played in, like, 36 hours or something like that. Um, was just traveling, sitting on on trains and stuff, which is scary, by the way. Um, and I played terribly. Um, yeah, would not... Would not ever plan it that way ever again. <laughs> Give yourself a couple days in between. Enough said. Um, and then I played VDR audition, and I got some interesting comments from from that. Um, aside, does this is this pertinent, or do you want me to get you back? Say to whatever you want. You say okay. whatever you want. We're just talking about what what it's like in the middle of a pandemic. What's, the, you know? what's it like? Here's my journey. Yeah. Um, and I asked for comments after that audition because I had I had a really good experience. Like I had the days after traveling, you know, to acclimate to to being in Germany. Um, 
And that was the first time that I got to be anywhere without a mask on. Um, because you could, one, you could, there wasn't a public mask mandate like there, like there is in New York. Um, and two, there was no one around in Oberhausen, Germany. Look it up. <laughs> it's small. Uh-huh. Um, but it's where I found an Airbnb that I could drive, drive from and found an Airbnb that was a house by itself, not an apartment so that I could practice that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, which is important for a brass player or, um, or a musician, like finding a place that you can practice practice and performance practice <laughs> nice. um, uh, during uh, during any trip, COVID aside, right? Um, and I got my I got my comments back from Vede Air, and they were just like, "Yeah, you sounded great, but your dynamic range was terrible." Like. You like you played mezzo forte and a little bit less than mezzo forte, and I was really I was really stunned by this, and this this was a very big aha moment because it was at this moment where this whole time in my preparation I had made the one giant mistake of not being myself, and I said. I'm going to be this loud, brash American. Like, we play loud. We play so big and huge and and everything. I'm just going to turn off everybody in in that committee. They're never going to want to hear a second note from me. And so I dialed it down. I said, I'm going to play finessed and very... um, you do, 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 do. I don't know. And I kind of feel French in that. In that, uh, that's a stereotype, and I apologize. But um, it was very like, like uh, touchy. But but f- I don't know. Finesse is about the only word that yeah, I can yeah. come from. Yeah, very descriptive. I know what you mean. And but I had zero dynamic range. Like listening back on on my my practice recordings, like like. Forte was, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, Everything yeah. was 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 contained in a box, and I'm not that person. Like I want colors, I want things that are interesting. And what's the what's the other than time? What's the other thing we've got? Is dynamics, you know, time, pitch, and dynamics. That's kind of kind of it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Okay, you can make a case for timbre, but but that's kind of dynamics in itself too. Like sure. it's color, right? Right, right. And so if I'm painting a picture and it's all brown, <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not that good of a modern artist. Like <laughs> I'm never going to sell that painting. And obviously, it wasn't. It wasn't being taken up. So I met up with a friend in Würzburg. Um, and I played for him, and then I played for uh, the principal trombone in, in Hamburg, uh, Hamburg um, uh, Radio Symphony, the NDR. Uh, and uh, um, socially distanced, of course. And, uh, and their comments were like, yeah, you just, 
you just need to play out. Be yourself. And I was like, you mean like this? And they were like, yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wait, so all this time I should just be myself, right? <sighs> Darn. So I went to Copenhagen and I said, you know what? I'm just going to present Brian Santero and his music. And that's, I was really lucky. I almost walked out of the second round because I thought I played so terribly that they could possibly not not pass it. Um, but luckily I got through. And then the third round was the section round. So I skipped over the first round. The first round was the piano part. And mm-hmm. so the day beforehand, I, I, I played with the pianist and I had one put all the check boxes in and I said, I'm going to play with the pianist. I'm going to rehearse. And when I rehearse, I'm going to talk about these dynamics. I'm going to talk about these uh, rubatos, these things. I made those checklists for myself for that, re- for that rehearsal with Raika, the, the pianist. And she was awesome. Yeah. Like she collaborated and like the moment, like that moment of playing music with a pianist after seven months was really, I I was brought to tears, literally. I cried after my first round. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I just... Yeah, I did a recital. I mean, to, to not to hijack your story too much, no, but please, please. I did a recital um, in late October at a church. I got approached to do a virtual recital, and then yada yada yada. All these things happened, um, and I personally, I know a lot of people feel differently about this. I haven't really missed playing in the orchestra that much. Uh, um, there are aspects of the job that I miss, but overall, I haven't missed it a lot. But when I played that recital, I was like, oh my gosh, I really miss this. There was this like collaborative element that I don't get in my job. I mean, I, I'm principal trumpet, right? So I get to right. make music and solos, but there's this collaborative effort, like you said, where it's like, oh, let's try to make this moment, but there's two of you. So it's like easier to try to make a moment because there's two of you rather than yeah. a whole orchestra with all, you know. And so I agree. It was kind of surreal to realize how much I had missed um, that particular form of creating music. I think chamber music is, I think it's an underappreciated part of our education. Like, I think everyone wants to do solos and everything, but I think the important bar- part, I'm sorry, I'm just noticing how poppy my peas are Dude, in this good. microphone. <laughs> I think, you I haven't said any words with the letter P in it at all this entire podcast. Practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, chamber music is just like you learn so much from that. Whether it's like a brass quintet or or l'histoire or you know just like a sonata or something. Like someone who's not following you. Like you are collaborating with them. It's it just kind of puts everything into perspective, I think. And so when when 
playing with 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 the pianist there, the accompanist, I really, really kind of lost it. It was really emotional for me afterwards. And luckily I had practiced performing enough that I was able to keep it together and like present my music the way I wanted to present it during the moment that I had to present it. But once it was all done, like, like, whew, you know, you just kind of fall apart for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I had a very, ex- I had the exact same experience right afterwards in the third, in the third round playing with the section. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I love trombone sounds. Like playing a good in tune chord. Like I haven't had that in, you know, I, okay. We had that at third coast. So I guess it was like three months at that point. But it obviously wasn't a regular experience right, for right, me yeah. at that point. And um and so like you just get you just get like these these little hits of of like oh a B flat major chord that's in tune or or like really like getting that that settled third that's got the minus thirteen point seven whatever. Um you know, and it really feels like, oh, and I got that it ignited me again, just like this feeling of, oh my gosh, music is, that's my passion. That's what I love. I just want to do it. And it's the one thing we can't do these days. Um, so we'll, tr- we'll keep trying, but like after, after, after it was all done and I played a couple notes that I wish I had had back, you know, just like everything, nothing's perfect, especially the, my auditions. Um, but I presented my music the way I wanted to present it. Um, albeit maybe a little too loud. Cause I think I was making up for lost dynamics. In yeah, Germany. maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it was, I think that was the important bit for me was like finding my music, my music again, being my music and presenting it. And like, that was just, I, I like to think that I sold them on it and I'm really excited to work with them. I mean, theoretically I'm starting in January and I'm moving on December 22nd. So it's, uh, or at least I'm, going to Denmark to at least to, yeah. to, to go. Um, I'm very excited to work, to play music again. Um, and especially the chamber music stuff. That's always been a big thing for me. Uh, That's awesome, like, man. Thanks. Yeah, it was kind of surreal when they said, we're going to offer the job to Brian Santero. I was like, Oh my gosh! Did they call you? Did they call you Brian Santero? Did they call you Brian San Andreas? San Andreas? No. I feel like we used to do that. We would just come up with different last names. Oh, what's the other one? The it was an ice cream. (laughs) Uh, San chocolate chip. San Pellegrino. San Pellegrino. That was definitely one. Yeah. Oh gosh, you can. 
Man, I got to tell you a story that I think I will help paint this picture that I've had struggles in the past and other people might be experiencing currently that I, you just, it's so compelling to listen to you talk about when you say the music that I wanted to present, the way that I wanted to present it. When I was an undergrad, I felt very confident when I played something like, well, there's two versions actually of this. I would play orchestral music. I feel very confident. And in quintet, we well, one of the churches we played at, uh, we would play contemporary music, you know, and I would not play it with nearly as much confidence huh. because I didn't feel nearly as comfortable with the style, right? Right. And yeah. then fast forward to, I just remembered this, like I literally haven't thought about this in years, but when I first got here, um, I my tenure meetings, uh, I was told like, we like what you're doing, but like, Sometimes you're not prepared. And I was like, I don't know how you know that. Like, it's not untrue, but I don't <laughs> know how you know that. And I think part of it was like, you know, I was approaching it like like a kid, right? I would be like, I, I have all these rehearsals. Like, I generally know what I'm doing. I'll figure out some of the details in rehearsals, yeah, which yeah. that is what rehearsal is for. But a lot of the details, if I would have just like thought about it a little bit ahead of, these are some of the mistakes I wish I wouldn't have made earlier in my career. Yeah, one of the things I think that they were hearing was when I played something like Chike 4, it would just be like, here we go. Like, I would just go. But if I played something like Schumann 2, it would be far less... Um, convincing and it would sound like I'm unprepared but it wasn't because I was unprepared it was because I did not feel like I understood or owned that style well enough to say this is how it is this is mine exactly this is the way I think it should go or the way based on you know whatever I've researched so I tell those two stories to ask you the question for people who are struggling with knowing what is my version how would you go about developing that level of I am confident in my way Developing my way. Um, one, wh however you feel about singing, get over it. And like, just accept that you're going to be singing more. And even if it's not out loud or in the shower or whatever, it's going to be in your head. And like getting used to singing, hearing like a different version of your attempt at that music through a different instrument just kind of puts things into perspective. Like you, like once you hear your voice going, you then start seeing like, well, what things are the vocal part? What things are the trombone part? And what things are just my approach? Like, where are the parallels between, between singing it and the trombone and my mind's version of that song? That was Tuba Miram for those playing at home. Uh, of which I'm very excited. I'll be playing that in Denmark next year. Uh, next, uh, I think it's in like April or something. Um, Mozart's <laughs> Requiem, uh, and all things you know, allowing, of course, COVID allowing. Yeah. And so, if you're a one, you have to sing it. 
you have to like be doing it a different way than than your regular music whether it's like playing on it on a piano or or singing it or just humming it or um what i call the half whistle approach of like just getting the motion of blowing air through the trombone um like you're going to start seeing parallels and you're going to see what works and what doesn't in the technique and what doesn't work in the music and then there's the once you're starting doing that you're also listening to a bunch of the style of that music and you're also uh listening to what's great and what's not great the performances that are great and the performances that are not great of that and that's where we're lucky we're living in the recording era you are able to do you can we can listen to all this stuff we can witness like what was it like when bud herseth played also sprock right and you're just like oh well, that's probably a pretty decent way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you try it out. You see if you can get that fat sound. You see if you can get like those connections of of notes. And you say, well, that's not really me sometimes. And so you need to figure out, you need to do the 999 ways of not making a light bulb or not make, doing also Sprock in the Brian Santero way before you find the one way that is the Brian Santero way. Because you're, it's almost never you're going to find the your voice on the first time. You just kind of throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And then you start finding details that you like, and a lot of those details will, will follow into other excerpts, other pieces of music that are just... Um, you don't realize you're working on it. And all of a sudden, once you've done like Schumann 2 or Rhenish for us, uh, like you have like these ways to approach those, those, those pieces of music and actually you have the language now. You... You know all the words. You just need to figure out how to put the words in the right order. And fortunately, that's what the what the music's the sheet music is for. So I think the important bit is singing it, like doing it different ways in different modes. Um, recording yourself. I mean, that's such a huge one. Listening back and just being like convinced. Seeing if you're convinced. If you can kind of convince yourself and mostly convince yourself, you're never going to fully convince yourself, right? If you can mostly convince yourself, I think you've got your voice. Mm. That's a nice little way to sort of, I guess, criteria for kind of thinking about it. I, you know, this this discussion, it happened earlier. I didn't really get into it because we uh, got into the Copenhagen thing, but... One of the things I find to be difficult is, you know, with the practice, practice side of things, we're developing the tools. Right. It's such an important step, but what you just said is kind of what 
I, I feel like is this other hard part about music, which is once you have the tools, you still have to figure out what you want to paint. Right. And that's right. what you were describing. And for me, it's becoming, this is coming so clear. And I, I took a 30 day Photoshop thing. Right. So I know how to use Photoshop. I, I'm not a pro, but I can do a lot of things. And so when he was doing the course, he would say, today in this, we're going to take this photo and do this thing to it. And all I'm doing is copying him. Right. Right. So now I know how to cut a subject out. Right. Great. But then when I get my own photo, I'm like, well, what do I want to do with this? And all of a sudden, it's like, I can have all the tools in the world, but if I don't have a vision for what it needs to be like, and this is why recording and listening and recording yourself and seeing what it is is so valuable because the tools don't matter if you can't envision a world in which this thing will be created from you. Like, what are you trying to create? So like, am I trying to create a thumbnail? Okay, cool. What do I want the thumbnail to look like? Do I want to cut out this part of me? What background? Like you start to ask yourself the questions of which elements are going to create this vision. And that's where I feel like professionals are so amazing is they can look at something and the vision is just already there. Like they know, they, they see these elements or they, they see a, like a, line, you know, a phrase of music and they're already coming up with ways singing in their head like you were saying or whatever. Um, and that just takes a lot of failure <laughs> to figure out, I think. Well, I think, I think you can build in that failure. I think you can actually set failure as a goal. And I think fit like like knowing how to fail, knowing to knowing that you are going to fail is half the battle. And so if you set yourself if you set yourself up an environment in which it's safe to fail, um, then uh, like you're going to be golden. And I have a prescri- I think I I think I've I have a prescription for this. So if I. Uh, if you have a project or something that you want to do and let's let's take your photoshop thing for example mm-hmm. and i would say i've got all these tools i know how to use the eyedropper i know how to use the the crop whatever you know like like what a paintbrush and a mask are and all these things right um but i don't know what to do with it i don't know how to be creative with it you're going my prescription for not just you, the royal you, everyone, is if you want to be creative with it, you're going to set parameters for yourself. By one, your goal right now is to make three versions of something. Okay? They may not be what you sell to the art gallery. They may not be, you know, what you finish with. But they are going to be three milestones and great if they succeed great if they fail and so when i when you take this photoshop you open up this this photo you have i maybe you make three copies of it and you name them version one version two version three right and on version one you just start doing something just start Cutting away. Just start putting text on it. Whatever. Um, and then on version two, you're going to know from like, well, version one, I didn't love what I did in this thing, but I did like this thing. And then you go down that road. I think Muse, 
the band Muse did this with their with their um, albums. They took like one of their weirdest tracks. I might be misremembering this, but if I, I hope I'm correct. But if I'm not, it's still a great idea. If you, <laughs> um, if if you take an an a track from your from your previous album and you use that to spiral down a different road, it is now your seed for a new tree. The same thing with the versions. Like, if you set the parameters, yeah, you're going to have three pictures that you're going to come out with, and two of them might really suck. But I guarantee the first one, the third one will be way more creative than the, than the, than the first one. Yeah. So you have to make that goal. You have to make that, that, like, that, that goal at the end saying, like, I'm going to do three things uh, with this and just be okay with, with failing because you're going to surprise yourself. So that's, that's my, how, that's my yeah, prescription I mean, for you, Ryan. It's so interesting. I, I just went through this with the lights in my studio here, right? So... Um, yeah, it looks great. This will be a link. Uh, these are all just like lamps, basically. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to go through this really quickly because I feel like it will help demonstrate this point a little bit. Um, when we first, our first parameter when we bought lights were Kathleen said, we need two of them because we need to photograph my art and we need we can't have any shadows or anything like that. So we need two of them, they need to be high powered. And we, I was like, well, this is what YouTubers use, but it's like $700, so I can't buy that. So we ended up looking on YouTube, we found like a something that's like a budget-ish thing because we don't know exactly what it is. So you find like, you know, the thing that's like, well, this is quality, but it's within my budget. So generally you're starting with budget, right? And you're starting with like, what is the thing that I need it for? Those two parameters. And so right. I've been using that on my YouTube videos for a while. But as I'm using them, I'm getting a little frustrated because the lights that I have, I can't control where the light is going, right? It just spills out everywhere. And so I thought to myself, well, what I should do is have one key light and then I'll buy two LED panels with barn doors yeah. And then possibly even a diffuser, a diffusion box. And I'll use this diffusion box that I can change the intensity. It's dimmable because also basically the, to dim things, I had to move the light closer or further away. <laughs> I didn't have many options. Zoom with your feet, as they call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In photography. So I bought these LED lights and then I set them up thinking, ah, this will solve all my problems. And then I turned everything on and I was like, my room is significantly darker because I controlled where the light went. And I did didn't realize how much my room is being lit by the spill of the light. Huh. And right, so I was like, okay, well, this is not good because I realized I'm getting a lot of light from that key light that I'm losing now from this LED light. And that sent me down this other road of, okay, well, maybe I should get a key light that will allow me to control the light, but have more spill. And then I'll use these LED lights. The reason I tell this story is because it's exactly what you said. I set these parameters, I bought something, but as I learned, and as my vision became more clear of what I wanted, my vision wasn't clear at all at the beginning, but as you watch other YouTube videos, you get some ideas that's equivalent to listening to recordings. You get some ideas of like, oh, well, I can't do as much of my vision. So then you are like, well, what is my vision? Then you start going down that road and you get something that's closer. It's very much similar to what you were saying, but in terms of like playing, you just like start playing almost. 
And then you like listen to recordings and you start saying, well, compared to that recording, am I close? Do I like it? You know, it's like rather than like that guy is good and I am bad, you're just like objectively like, how could I move closer to that? Yeah, I I love it. It exactly that. It, it's it's the how to learn. And you just you just how to learn lighting in that exact totally. same way. Yeah. I mean Here's the cool part is like if I just would have taken a course or got a teacher, I would have been able to answer that question right from the get-go. But you might not have learned as much. I mean, right? because someone told you. Right. I wouldn't have also have known what questions to ask, which is a really important part of this process. Like yeah. through the process of failing, you begin, in my opinion, you begin to learn the right questions to ask to actually get the answers that you need. You just don't know what those questions to ask are because you haven't sifted through anything. Yeah, You haven't really committed to one idea of what you think something should be. So when you invariably fail, now you have more specific questions to get you closer. Exactly. I almost, I, I almost said something like this about auditions, but now I guess now's the time. Like the, I don't, the reason I love taking auditions, love is <laughs> a, a asterisk love. Um, no one loves taking auditions. Yeah. But the reason I love taking auditions, asterisk, is that I will always be clearer on the, on the, other side. I will always have better technique afterwards. I may not be the best version of myself. I may not be the one who needs to win the audition, but I have tested myself. I've gone through the ring of fire and really like like found my metal. M E T T L E. Is that how you spell metal? I think M E T T L E. Tested yeah. your metal, yeah. Yeah, I tested my metal, right? And I think you will always learn something. And yeah, it might be an expensive experience, but like you can do the same thing with recitals, with mock auditions, with 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 just like singing with friends. If it's like with purpose and with the goal, with some sort of goal in mind, it doesn't have to be selfish it doesn't have to be like beating down others um at their you know at their expense for your gain no you can just work with friends and like just ask the right ask questions and find out what the wrong questions are to ask yeah because in that way you'll get to that version two or three and you'll start asking the right questions yeah, I mean, I'm 32, so I'm like to say that like I've learned all of this kind of stuff feels sort of like like I don't really have an ability to say this, but what we're talking about here is and everything that I've experienced it's like the most fulfilling version of my life has been when I'm just focused on moving the needle closer to the direction of the best version of myself. Exactly. Like I'm not saying that it's solved all of my problems by any means, but I feel that I am more fulfilled. I feel that I have more peace about things because if the goal is to move the needle, then any success is a byproduct of that, not necessarily the reason. So then whether I succeed or not doesn't really affect me. It's just something that came at the end of pushing myself. Byproduct, byproduct is such a great way to say it. Yeah, it's like the, the journey of a thousand miles 
begins with a single step. And it's like to to bring in the the Rome thing, like yeah, like walk in a direction. It may take you a long time, but you just have to take a step. And so I know I definitely uh I definitely personally uh am hindered by anxiety. Um I have a tendency towards depression um that I have sought medical help for and such and it's made me a stronger person and I know myself better. Um but that anxiety never made me better. Taking the step forward somewhere and if I was lucky in the right direction that was definitely what what I needed. Yeah, I I mean I this is what this is so interesting about music education or education in general is that yeah. in my mind should be sort of the first and foremost thing then is rather than just giving information, it should be started with helping people start taking directions in the right direction and then providing them with information that keeps them moving. But it seems like getting things oriented in the right direction feels like a better first step than just here's a whole bunch of information for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh finding your passion and such. Yeah, I just yeah. it's like one of the joys of of what I'm doing trying to be a coach is you know, try to help yeah, exactly, finding your passion. Like what is it that you want? Like what is your goal, you know? What is it? And like of course, I'm happy to say this is what I think your goal could be. But ultimately, I, I've watched a lot of like guys who are trainers and coaches in the fitness industry, and a lot of them will say like the very first step in programming for people is asking them what they already do, right? Hmm. Like they don't approach it like I will give you, all, I will tell you that I know way more than you. It's about finding something that is sustainable that you would build over the long term based on who they are as individuals. Not like, here's the perfect program, do this and everything. It's like, let's start with what you're doing and add some value. Let's like maybe start with what you're doing, but put it in in an order, in a structure. Do these things in this order that you're already doing and seeing if just putting it in an order makes a difference. Like that's what you're saying. Don't necessarily change everything about your practice. Just see if like having a goal and having some sort of time frame does anything to that. Yeah, exactly. Like my system is not going to work for everyone. It may work for no one, but just knowing that having your own system is going to work. You just need to find your system. And it's like uh, exactly what you said with, with the trainers and such. It's just like, if you do best, like walking around a practice room, just like improvising and stuff, like do that. Like, memorize your excerpts play them from memory walk around that's another step that's like doing the same thing but in a different in a different mode you're and then what if what if you improvise in the style of Schumann 3 or something you know like like you're just going to become a better musician if you take uh figurative steps in the direction that you like to that you like to go, because uh, you can't take someone's system and expect it to work. Um, 
but you can take things from people's systems and bake them into your own system. And then you've come up with a new recipe for success. One that's yours. Yeah, exactly. Which is like, then you just do that for the rest of your life and you'll just get to go wherever you're going to end up. And you'll enjoy it because you like doing it instead of begrudgingly saying, well, well, my teacher said six hours a day of B-flat minor. <laughs> that must be, if that must be what hell is like. I, yeah, right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> at, at, four, at 4.32 in Upside Down yeah. Music. Well, man, this is, I'm fascinated by this, literally all of this conversation. And I believe very deeply in its effectiveness. So I appreciate you being willing to chat with me. We didn't even get into like your time, like being, you know, working with cameras on the production side of things. We didn't even get into that. So I'm already going to try to plan a second episode for the future sometime where we can get into some of that kind of stuff and what that was like, but I, I appreciate fun. you being willing to, to share. Uh, and so openly and uh, yeah, man, I just appreciate it. If people are thinking to themselves, I got to talk to Brian. He sounds like the coolest guy in the world. And I want to talk to him before he leaves the country and none of us ever talk to him again. How would somebody be able to get a hold of you? Oh boy. Um, I do have a Danish phone number and for, and for, fortunately, the internet does work, but uh, you can find me at trombone.nyc, um, which will still exist, I, I promise. Maybe I'll get trombone.dk as well, um, but briansantero.com also works. Cool. Uh, I'm Brian Santero, Brian Santero on YouTube, and B Santero on Instagram, I think is my most popular uh, place to be. Um, just message me there. I uh, also on Facebook. I mean the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do teach. I like the Zoom stuff and and such. So if you have a question about how do audio recorders work or whatever, like that's I did did that after school. So that's another. Th- I guess I guess the, here is my shameless plug for audio for musicians on Facebook, um, which will be getting some updates soon. Yeah, yeah, based go on for it. The new Zoom, the Zoom. Uh, Ryan and I are talking over Zoom, looking at each other, so that I can see his wonderful face. Um, but unfortunately, you can't see us right now, probably. Uh, but Zoom.us, the um, the conferencing app has some really cool updates in the past couple months if for some reason you've been living under a rock um i'll be detailing those so uh find me you can find me in in all those places but b santero at instagram is probably the easiest or briansantero.com all right so check them out there if you have any reason or desire to uh kind of connect with brian uh super easy going guy as you heard so i'm sure he'd love to help in any way he can or just uh any nice things you have to say or maybe if you hated this entire episode i guess you could tell him that too i am looking for good recipes especially baking recipes well there you go so i'm always i i want to get into sourdough so if you know something about sourdough um I'm all ears. Uh, there you go. 
Um, if you need to get in touch with me, you guys know what to do. You just, that's not spit.com. Uh, that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode or anything along the lines of any emotions whatsoever, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, I'd really appreciate that. Do not forget to share it on social media as well so other people can hear the episode and enjoy it themselves. Brian, thank you again so much for your time and sharing so openly. I really appreciate it. It's great to connect with you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you again, Ryan. I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.